So Parkview, it is so good to be with you. Um, I, I've known of your church and just been a raving fan for a long, long time. Um, I've kind of grown up in ministry with your senior pastor, Tim Harlow. Um, I serve today as president of Stadia Church Planting. But prior to that, I was at River Tree Christian Church in Northern Ohio as senior pastor for 25 years. I started when I was seven. And... Um, <laughs> And along the way, Tim and I became such, he's one of my closest friends um, in ministry. But over the past five years, um, you all have been such amazing partners with Stadia in planting churches throughout the United States and around the world. And our vision is to make sure every child on the planet has a church. Um, new church planting remains the single most effective way of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we know that to transform this world, it's the next generation that we need to reach. You've helped plant churches um, in South America, um, in urban centers throughout the United States. We're involved together right now in numerous cities throughout the United States and ultimately around the world. So on behalf literally of thousands of children who you've helped hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the very first time, thank you. So appreciate your partnership. So last weekend, I was actually in California preaching. I was in Los Angeles. And, you know, California is a lot of fun. They, you know, they have the beach right there and there's palm trees. I mean, you can't beat that. But, I mean, I always have, I, I have a hard time eating out there. Um, I mean, they eat weird stuff. They're, they're, they're so healthy. Um, I, you know, I, I'm from Ohio, right? Um, and so I went to this restaurant out there, and this was actually on the menu. Free-range tofu balls. Organic veggie burgers laden with lentil sprouts. Yuck. Whole grain soy rice with bok choy. We don't have bok choy in Ohio. And then you're supposed to chase it with coconut probiotic antioxidant muscle milk. Now back in Ohio, right? I mean, I start my day with um, baked cinnamon apples and honey butter biscuits and hash brown casserole, and country fried steak, all of it slathered in gravy. That's food. And we want to look good, right? We want to take care of our bodies, and I get that I'm probably not doing that as well as they do in California, but whatever. I mean, it's that time of year, it's vacation, you want to be able to take your shirts off, it's hot out, you want to go to the pool and everything, but, you know, the real reason we want to take care of our bodies is because we're created in the image of God, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 27 says, God created humanity in His own image. Male and female, He created them in His image. In Latin, it's the phrase, the imago Dei, the image of God. Now, we have to admit that sometimes it's harder to see God's image in some than it is in others. I mean, it's, 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 I don't think there are as many God bodies in Ohio. It, it might be the gravy. I mean, there are times when I take my shirt off at home and my wife says, Greg, I, I just don't know that I see God in you. <laughs> I see Buddha. Buddha. 
Humanity, though, is created in the image of God. The image of God is all around us. But we have to learn to see it. Now, I want to take all of us back to a story in the Bible. It takes place about 1300 B.C., so a long time ago, 1300 B.C., Exodus chapter 1. God's chosen people, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, if you will, are enslaved by the most powerful nation on earth, the Egyptians. However, the Hebrews are having children like rabbits. And Pharaoh is alarmed because their population, the Hebrew people, are growing so rapidly. And so he has this great idea, but it is an evil idea, that every baby born that's born, every baby boy that's born to the Hebrew nation, he's going to have cast into the Nile River and drowned. Horrific. Exodus chapter 2. A little baby is born, and his mom names him Moses. And mom can't bring herself to just throw her baby boy into the river and watch him drown. So instead, she crafts a little basket out of reeds along the shore, and she puts her little baby boy in the basket and sets him out into the Nile River. But I think she couldn't bear to watch what happened to her son even floating in the Nile River. And so she said to her little girl, she said, would you please go and watch over baby Moses and see what happens to him? And so the little sister goes, the, the older sister goes to watch Moses. And of all the crazy things, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the Nile River. And she maybe hears the little baby Moses giggling or crying. And she has her servants bring the baby in the, in the basket out of the water. And she picks him up and she falls in love with him. Little puppy, I want to take you home. And she adopts him into Pharaoh's household. And the older sister comes along and she says, um, Miss Pharaoh's daughter, um, how about if I get a Hebrew woman to be the baby's nanny and help you take care of this baby? And of all the crazy things, Pharaoh's daughter agrees. And so sister goes back and gets her mom, and Moses' mom, his biological mother, becomes the nanny in Pharaoh's household. How cool is that? She actually helps raise her son in Pharaoh's household. And so Moses grows up with all of the rights and privileges of being a child of Pharaoh. And in his teen years, late teen years, maybe early 20s, Moses goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses rises up in anger and he kills the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand because there's lots of sand there. The next day, Moses goes out once again. And there are two Hebrews fighting. And he starts to break up the fight. And one of the Hebrews says to Moses, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses knows he is busted. And so he runs away. He flees to a faraway land. And he becomes a shepherd. Because that's what the Hebrew people are at that time. They're shepherds. Exodus chapter 3. God hears the cries of his people in slavery. And God decides to pay Moses a visit out in the wilderness where he's a shepherd because God has chosen Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, where we pick up the story. Moses is tending sheep, and he looks and he sees a bush that is burning, but it's not consumed. You know this story. You've heard of it, right? Moses and the burning bush. And all of a sudden... A voice, God's presence, speaks out of the bush to Moses. 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 And Moses says, here I am. And Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, 
God says to Moses, Moses, take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. You're standing on holy ground. Now, why is this ground holy that Moses is standing on? Well, because Moses is in the presence of God. And so you take off your shoes as a sign of respect when you're in the presence of God. You take off your shoes as a sign of cleanliness when you're in the presence of God. I mean, when I was just a little boy growing up, my mom would say, Greg, take off your shoes when you come in from playing in the house. Don't, don't, don't track mud in through the house, right? And if I forget, which there were times I did, and I just would come running in the house, tracking mud all through the house, my mom would say, Greg, take off your shoes. Were you born in a barn? Which is something Jesus' mom could never say to Jesus. <laughs> He'd be like, Yeah. Take off your shoes. <laughs> you just got that, didn't you? <laughs> you take off your shoes because you're in the presence of God. The presence of God is all around us, but sometimes it's difficult to see. I find the presence of God um, actually easy to see, to, to sense in nature. Some of you are probably wired like that. Um, I mean, the majesty of a mountain takes me into God's presence. Maybe for some of you it's the beach, the rolling waves. Um, maybe a quiet stream, song of a bird, beauty of an incredible flower. But we can sense God. And, and that's appropriate because the Bible says that all of nature cries out in praise to God. And so God in nature is revealed to us. But I find it more difficult sometimes to sense God's presence, to recognize the presence of God in people. especially in ourselves. I find it most difficult sometimes to see God's presence in my own life. Remember, you're created in the image of God. I'm created in the image of God. The Imago Dei. God's presence is within us if we recognize that. And it can be difficult sometimes to recognize God's presence in ourselves. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm not kidding about this, for real. Um, I'm going to invite you to take off your shoes. Really. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, you too, little girl with the pink bow. Take them off. <laughs> yep, take off your shoes. Hopefully you all bathed this morning or at least last night. Because we take off our shoes when we're in God's presence. And we're in God's presence when we're alone, when we're by ourselves. Because God lives within us. Here's what 1 Corinthians 3.16 says. You realize, he's speaking to you, you realize, don't you, that you are the temple, the home, the dwelling place, the place where God lives in you. You realize, he says, that God himself lives in you. Let that sink in. God lives in you. You are a burning bush. 
Now, Moses was raised believing that he was created in the image of God. I mean, even though he, he was, you know, grew up with all the pagan gods of Egypt around him being worshipped, Moses, because he had his Hebrew mom, his birth mom, his nanny, teaching him, Hebraic teaching, he would have grown up knowing that he was created in the image of the one true God, the Imago Dei. But after a while, I wonder if Moses started to forget the image of God in himself. I mean, even though, you know, he's raised in the royal palace with all those good things, I wonder if Moses started thinking, but I'm adopted. I'm not really royalty. And he started questioning his identity. I I wonder if Moses, when he was around his pharaohish buddies, maybe in his teen years, and those cruel boys maybe, they started making fun of the Hebrew people who they despised because they were shepherds, And shepherds smell like sheep. And in the King James Version of the Bible, it says, they stinketh. And Moses started thinking, maybe I'm one of those stinky people that his friends were making fun of. And so he started to lose his sense of identity. And then Moses one day goes out and he kills a man and he loses his sense of identity in God entirely in his life. And he runs away. Because that's what you and I have a tendency to do. When we forget that we're created in the image of God, who we are and whose we are, we have a tendency to run away and hide. Now, like Moses, my son, um, my wife and I, Julie and I, our son, is adopted. He's this beautiful little black boy that we adopted when he was three weeks old from Cleveland, Ohio, because Cleveland rocks. And there are times when I hold Elijah in my arms and I cannot imagine loving a little boy more than I love my son. Cannot imagine. But do you know one of the most important things that my wife Julie and I can teach our son Elijah? It's to teach him that he is created in the image of God. That his identity does not come from the fact that his birth mom could not take care of him. His identity does not come from the fact that Greg and Julie Nettle adopted him into our household. His identity comes from the fact that he is created in God's image and God has adopted him, right? Romans chapter 8, 15, you need to hear this. God adopted you as his child, and that gives you the privilege of calling out to him, Daddy, you, me. And so parents, let me speak to you for just a moment, those of you who are parents and you have kids in school or heading into school, because One of the most important things you can teach your child or your children is that they are created in God's image. If you want your children to grow up with a healthy self-image, teach them that they are created in God's image. That their identity does not stem from their success or their sports um, or their good grades they get or how many friends they have. Their identity comes from who they are in God. If you want them to stand up against peer pressure, teach them that their power within their lives, their strength comes the fact that God is living within them and empowers them. 
And students, let me speak a word into your lives right now because you're getting ready to head back into school. And one of the most important things you need to remember is that you are created in God's image. Because there will be times when other students will say hurtful things to you. It will happen. And there may even be times when a teacher degrades you. And social media is really challenging these days. And bullying takes place all of the time. And some of you will struggle with body image. But you must remember that your image, you are created in the Amago Day, in the image of God, students. Remember who you are and whose you are. And I hold my adopted son, Elijah. This happened just two weeks ago. He's, he's 10 years old now, so he's still a little small enough, you know, to, for sometimes for this to happen. I was watching something on TV, and, and he came over and he sat by me on the couch, and he actually laid across my lap so that I would scratch his back. So I started scratching his back, and I started rubbing his head, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, this is actually, I, I just can't imagine loving this little boy any more than I love him. And it was like God's Holy Spirit just watch, washed over me, and, 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 and God said to me, Greg, I just want you to know that I can't imagine loving you any more than I love you. Elijah's your adopted son. You're my adopted son. That's what adoption means. I love you more than you can imagine. Mago Day. That's what it means for you, every one of you. But there are times when I forget... And so there are times when I go into my bedroom and I, I sit on the floor by myself on the carpet because life is hard. And I intentionally, I take off my shoes to remind myself that I am in God's presence when I sit by myself because God has chosen for whatever reason to live inside of Greg Nettle because I forget. And I'll play worship music. And these days, one of my favorite songs to listen to, it's, it's a song by um, Chris Tomlin called Good, Good Father. Maybe you've heard that. And I'll start singing with it. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. because I forget. And I start remembering the myriad of mistakes I've made in my life. And I start tying my identity, my value, who I am of all the crazy things to my career. And I start comparing myself to others and suddenly the burning bush of Greg Nettle's life becomes cold ashes. <laughs> because I can forget. And that's why there are times, friends, when we simply need to sit by ourselves and take off our shoes and remind ourselves that we, you, are created in the image of God, that you are adopted into God's family. And because God has chosen to live within you, you are a burning bush. And that's our starting point, taking off our shoes when we're in our own presence. And here's the challenge with that. Unless we learn to take off our shoes in our own presence and understand our own identity created in the image of God, we will never be able to take off our shoes and see the image of God in others. 
If, if we don't have a correct understanding of who we are in God, we will never be able to see all the people around us that are burning bushes, that are created, everyone in God's image. We have to learn to take our shoes off in the presence of others. And I have a confession to make. When I fly out to Chicago here to be with you, it is hard for me to take off my shoes in front of you. It's hard for me to take off my shoes in your presence. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and it goes back about two years ago, but it's sometimes hard for me to see God in you. Just two words, Chicago Cubs. Now, if we can come to an understanding of who we really are, that God himself lives within us, then we can begin to see God in others, the Imago Dei. We can begin to see burning bushes all around us. You see, let's go back to Moses again. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household with all of the rights and privileges and status of being a child of Pharaoh. He eats the finest of foods. He has the best education. He enjoys all the privilege. And I wonder if Moses started believing his own press. Maybe I am all that. And so one day he goes outside and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he thinks, I might be better than some of these people. And he kills the Egyptian. He goes out the next day and there's two Hebrews and he starts thinking, I think I'm at least better than a lot of these people. And you and I can do the same thing. We can start believing that we are somehow inherently better than others. And it typically takes place based on our race or our education, our success or our status somehow, our physique maybe, or even our sexual orientation. We start thinking that inherently because of that, we are somehow better than others. It happens at a restaurant for me when I start thinking that the server is not paying enough attention to me. Or I go to the grocery store and there's an elderly couple in line in front of me. And of all the crazy things as we're checking out, they are paying with cash. And they are counting those coins out to the exact change one by coin by coin. And I start thinking that my time is more valuable than theirs. Or I go to Starbucks and I walk in on my cell phone and I place my order with the barista and I barely give her the time of the day because I'm busy on my call. There's no burning bushes around me that I can see. But let me tell you when it's most painful. It's when I've worked all day. When I've preached five times at Parkview. And I've tried to be kind to people and encouraging. Um, I've worked hard at listening well, engaging. And then I fly home and I'm tired and I'm cranky, and I just want some cave time. And I walk in the house, and there's my wife, and I treat the love of my life, my wife Julie, unkindly. I'm short with her, I am preoccupied, and I don't listen well. I mean, after all, she hasn't been out serving Jesus all weekend like I have. She's only been staying with our kids. That was a joke. 
but there's no burning bush. Or my 10-year-old son Elijah walks into the room, and I'm on my iPad booking my next flight, and I say, Elijah, no, I don't have time to play basketball with you right now. Or my 19-year-old daughter Tabitha walks in, and she wants me to watch this new, her, new, her new dance video on YouTube. And I agree to watch it, but I'm only half watching, and she knows it. When do you find it most difficult to see God's image in others? When do you find it most difficult to take off your shoes? Who is it in your life that, that you struggle with recognizing the fact that they are a burning bush created in God's image? As followers of Jesus, friends, when we are in the presence of Muslims, we take off our shoes. As image bearers of God, when we are in the presence of the homeless, we take off our shoes. As burning bushes filled with the presence of God, when we are in the presence of someone with a different sexual orientation, we start that relationship by what? By taking off our shoes. When we are in the presence of Cubs fans, we leave our freaking shoes on. I'm still struggling. Or you could throw them, I, I, whatever. Um, <laughs> students, let me come back to you again. You're going to be heading back to school, and it's going to happen. You're going to walk into the cafeteria wherever you have lunch, and there's going to be a student sitting by themselves eating lunch alone, and they have no friends, and you need to take off your shoes. There's going to be a, a boy walking down the hall, and he has special needs, and he's struggling carrying his books, and you need to take off your shoes. Maybe you're the best athlete on the team and the clumsy kid's on your team. And when you're in his presence, friends, please, I'm asking you, take off your shoes. There's going to be a kid who, who struggles reading and he's called in class to read out loud and he starts stammering and stuttering. He has no one to help him at home. And all the friends around him are starting to snicker and make fun. And you aren't because you have your shoes off. Students, you are a burning bush. And the other students in your school are created in the image of God. So please, as you head back, take off your shoes and respond appropriately to them. Everyone, when you're with that relative at the family gathering that's coming up, and he's the one or she's the one that always has too much of, to drink and she's obnoxious, what do we do when we're in their presence? What do we do? We take off our shoes. When we're in the presence of someone or a group of people who just will not shut up about Donald Trump one way or the other, you know the people, what do we do? We take off our shoes. When your spouse comes in from a long day of work and you've been home working all day, what do you do when your spouse walks in that house? What do you do? We take off our shoes. Spouse, when you're the one coming home at the end of a long day's work 
and your spouse has been there taking care of the kids or cleaning the house or running all those errands and paying bills and doing all that stuff that they do, before you walk in that house, after you get out of your car, what do you do? You take off your shoes. These are hard, but they're real. When you drop off your kids next weekend at your ex-spouse's house because it's your turn for your kids to spend the weekend with your ex-spouse, what do you do at your ex-spouse's house? You take off your shoes. Now, I might have crossed the line with that one, but that's what we do. When your child enters the room or you walk into your child's room, what do you do? You take off your shoes. Grandparents, because this matters. When your grandkids come over, what do you do? You take off your shoes. No. I have one tattoo on my body. And, you know, I didn't know if this is like a cool story to tell you all when I'm flying here from Ohio because some people don't like tattoos. But then I got here and I saw your staff. I mean, you know, your pastor, senior pastor, Tim Harlow, you know, I'm really good friends with him. He has the cutest little butterfly right here. And so next weekend when he's back with you, make sure you walk over and lift up his shirt, okay? And have a look. No, he does, I don't know if he does or not. But, um, so if you don't like tattoos, just keep your shoes off for me for just a couple more minutes um, and bear with me. But I have this one tattoo right here on my wrist. Um, I was traveling in Israel a couple years ago, the old city of Jerusalem, and I got this tattoo. It's the words, Imago Dei, Latin for image of God. And um, I got it intentionally to remind myself every time I look at it that I am created in the image of God, that I'm a burning bush, Imago Dei, and I take off my shoes. But more importantly, the reason I got it was to remind myself that every time I come in contact with anybody, any person whatsoever, and I shake their hand, or I take a cup of coffee from the barista, any contact whatsoever, it's to remind myself that every person I come in contact with is created in the image of God, and that I need to treat them that way. Because see, some of us need to be reminded that we are created in the image of God and therefore we take our shoes off. And others of us need to be more reminded that every person we come in contact with is created in the image of God and therefore we take our shoes off. Or perhaps you're like me and you need to be reminded of both. Imago Dei to take off our shoes. Now, one last story, and we'll wrap up. My wife and I spent uh, the last couple weeks in Peru, and we had the absolute privilege of flying to Peru to trek the Salkante Trail to Machu Picchu. And it was seven days, 52 miles through the mountains at more than 15,000 feet of altitude in some of the most, bre most breathtaking scenery I've ever experienced, life-changing trip. I mean, there were these snow-capped mountains literally right there and glacier lakes that we were looking down on that hardly anyone ever sees. There were these ancient ruins. I mean, these were the scenes of nature, right, that literally in the presence of God knock your shoes off. But let me tell you what 
really knocked off my shoes in Peru. Julie and I sponsor this little girl through the Compassion Stadia partnership, like so many of you sponsor kids, right? Little Natalie's 12 years old, and it was our first time to meet her. We've been writing her and, you know, praying for her. And little Natalie, 12 years old, lives in the jungle far away from Lima, Peru. Abject poverty. And so my wife and I fly into Lima, Peru, which is right on the coast, on the ocean, and we pay for Natalie and her mom to travel down to Lima. And Natalie arrives, and we get to spend the entire first day with Natalie, 12 years old, and her mom. And little Natalie is so excited. Beautiful little girl. And Natalie and I are standing um, on this kind of overlook, and the ocean is right down there, about a half mile away. And she's so excited. It's crazy. This is Natalie's first time ever to see the ocean. And you know, the ocean is vast. And it's beautiful, and it's inspiring. And right then and there, I decide, not only is Natalie going to see the ocean for the first time on this trip, but Natalie's not going back to the jungle without getting her feet wet, right? She's going in the ocean with me. So my wife and I, we, we hire a cab. <coughs> and the four of us get in the cab, and half an hour later, we arrive down at the ocean. And we park, the cab, park in the cab, we get out, and Natalie and I walk over onto the sand, and we sit down on the beach together, and we take our shoes and our socks off. Now, as we stand up to walk into the ocean, the, the waves were pretty large, and Natalie is very tiny. And the ocean can be terrifying. And so Natalie, little 12-year-old Natalie, takes my hand and holds it tight. And Natalie and I walk into the water. And she starts giggling. And I start crying. Because this is a holy moment. And I look down at little Natalie, and I look at myself, and I think to myself, we're just two children who happen to have the same father. And I think to myself, we're just two burning bushes, Imago Dei and her, Imago Dei and me, standing with our shoes off in the water. Imago Dei. Take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. Amen.